Detective Night Country episode four is over, but here on Post Show Recaps, we're just getting started. My name is Grace, but of course I'm not alone. I'm here with a very professional podcaster at a very professional network talking about a very professional show. It's Dr. Amanda. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm doing very professionally, Grace. Thank you for asking. Um, They're all in the night country now. Yeah, how do you feel about this one? Of just like, the show is called True Detective Night Country. Like, what a cool theme! And they're like, they're in the night country. Like, uh-huh. you know, it was like it was very Leo much, pointing at yeah, the screen. Exactly, mm-hmm. it was the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. Um, I do. It always tickles me when a character says the name I love of a I thing. Like it. It's like yeah. very silly. I wonder yeah. if when they're writing it, they know it's silly or they think it's cool. It's like a little cool, a little bit silly. Um, but we we got the titular night country named yeah. now now we know the great mystery of why this was called true detective night country we've solved all the mysteries i don't even know why we need two more episodes really um i i, the, I love the deleted scene where he says you're a true detective from the night country no he didn't say that <laughs> they're all in the night that. country and you my friend are a true, <laughs> a true detective, detective. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. We're going to talk about episode four of True Detective Night Country. Make sure you subscribe, posturerecaps.com slash true detective or posturerecaps.com slash subscribe. And make sure you don't miss Jess and I. will be chatting, doing a deep dive. I believe we'll have a guest last week. Sarah Carradine joined us and had a very wild prediction about what happened. Uh, you should listen to it to find no, out. No, I did. Li- isn't it? Isn't it like a, a sex party? That's right. That's official yes, prediction. A, is I that, think it was a spanky. It was, a spanky. Was, all just. <laughs> Uh, a sex orgy so that's uh-huh. the prediction if she gets it right then she gets four points so we shall see wow. uh, mike bloom and latonya stark's also doing the versus pod comparing season one to season uh four um all right so what did you make of this episode amanda so again like i think um you know this episode felt packed with a lot um i'm i am increasingly like i'm i'm, I'm continuing to be impressed with how much this show manages to pack within an hour in terms of plot. We're introduced to a whole new character again yeah. um, with uh, Otis Heiss. Um, and we also have like this, you know, big development in uh, Navarro's life with the death of her sister. Yeah. Um, we get some more insight into the case, of course. This felt like, you know, again, this was moving a lot of pieces down the road, probably not my favorite episode, but a very necessary episode that kept the momentum up. And I'm, you know, continuing very much to enjoy the show and the other layers of character development we're getting, particularly with our two leads in Evangeline and Liz. How about you, Grace? Yeah, I I would agree. I I like this episode a lot. And I thought actually it maybe has one of the more like moving scenes of, of Julia and then subsequently like Navarro finding out about her sister mm-hmm. and just the the overwhelming tragedy that her and her family um, have gone through. And then the the fight between Danvers and Navarro. I do have one small writing critique about that uh, scene, which we'll get to uh, mm. when we when we talk about it, uh, that I thought was the first time I was like, oh, I, it's that didn't jive with me as much. Um, the show really loves the like, uh, hey, Danvers, are you there? I got big. I got really big news. And then, and then cut to. Uh-huh. big thing happening which kind of uh is how we end this week's mm-hmm. episode um i'm feel like i'm more confused than than ever which i'm totally fine with but i feel like in terms of where i thought the show would go was starting supernatural and slowly we would figure out we'd get sort of like the supernatural explanations like more you know mm-hmm. the, the the ways in which like 
why what are these things you know is it culture is it you know uh, whatever those things are while also uncovering more and more about what what might be not supernatural what might be natural that happened mm -hmm. um and i feel like this episode was like no it's actually there's so much supernatural <laughs> yeah in the way we ended the episode so i'm i'm interested in, in that balance um, yeah i yeah. think that the headline here is and i'm going to spoil the sixth sense is that you know navarro sees dead people like yeah. that that the that the seeing of the dead people is very real and i think that we have a couple of points here to suggest that navarro is seeing dead people and the the one piece that i think is the most verifiable in terms of the show logic is that navarro seems to have seen holden with the polar bear before she was aware that holden actually had a polar bear stuffed animal yeah the the thing to me that is is interesting i'll, I'll give a quick plot recap in a second but mm -hmm. the fact that Navarro, yeah, is so reluctant to be somebody who's seeing mm -hmm. things. Um, I think is the big thing for me this episode, and 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 that's how where I feel like the ending is so interesting, and and the and the assertion that so interestingly though the fact that she might have been seeing people all along, but then also in this conversation with Danvers being so mm -hmm. sure that it will now happen to her the same thing that happened to her mm -hmm. mother and her sister that now she will succumb um, mm -hmm. to what happened. And yet still in that same conversation, um, refusing to acknowledge that she potentially has maybe some of the same thing that's happening with Rose. She's not really being, um, she's not really um, being honest, maybe even with Rose too. So yeah. Um, yeah, let me just give a quick plot recap here and then we can dive into it, which is basically Danvers and Navarro, they're continuing to try to figure out what happened at the Salal research station, as well as what happened to Annie. Danvers signs Julia alone and Navarro checks her into a medical center. Um, Navarro finds out uh, that or they go and search uh, Oliver uh, Tagak's house again and find the symbol and most importantly, a stone with the symbol on it. Um, at night, Julia leaves, uh, well, it's, it's all night, but Julia leaves uh, the medical center and walks into the sea, ultimately dying. Hank is left at the airport by his bride-to-be, and Pete leaves Kayla alone on Christmas Eve to provide Evangeline with backup at Oliver's house. Reeling from her sister's death, Navarro gets into a fight with three men and ends up being pretty badly beaten. Danvers narrowly avoids hitting the polar bear with one eye after a drunken fight with Connolly. Uh, after a fight about what happened at the Wheeler incident, the two head to the dredges, where they find Otis, a man with blindness and burst eardrums, similar to what happened to the men at the research station, wearing Ray's coat. Navarro sees a dead woman and appears to fall into some sort of trance. Um, the one piece I guess I would be interested in starting with is, is Julia also sees, so, so there's, there's three times this episode where, um, one of the Navarro sisters sees, um, sees somebody. So Julia mm -hmm. sees someone under her bed. Um, seemingly Navarro sees somebody at the Wheeler incident, although that, you know, happens as Danvers is retelling a story about what Navarro saw. Mm -hmm. So who knows how you know, accurate, we can take that. And then Navarro sees a woman at the end of the episode. And my question is, are, is this the same person? I was having it. There's, there's a cross that we see when Julia mm -hmm. um, sees the woman under her bed. Um, yeah. I'm wondering the, the, basically, yeah, this is, I think pretty important here that Rose yeah. is saying, you know, don't confuse mental illness with seeing dead people. Dead people come to give you messages. There's all these dead people in Ennis. Um, what's happening here with Navarro? I guess, so, the, no. 
my interpretation of who of who we see under the bed and who Navarro sees, who Evangeline Navarro sees at the dredge is um, that Julia sees a woman who's holding a cross under the bed. We also had Navarro see, find a cross in her car when she was driving, right. which almost led to her accident involving a polar bear. Um, I think that that vision is of their mother because right. we also see the cross in Navarro's remembering of her mother. And we hear the thing about praying um, that, you know, Jules plays a lot, that this was might have been something that afflicted her mother. I think the woman that Navarro sees at the dredges is actually Jules. And I looked, I watched really closely because she sees her twice. She sees her floating in the water. We know that that Jules has died by walking into the sea. Yeah. Um, it looks like it's blue hair. That's, right. that's, the, that's the hair in the water. And then the woman who's standing in front of her by the Christmas tree very clearly has blue hair. Her, her face is open in a scream. Yeah. I agree. Like it wasn't super clear to me. I wasn't positive who this was at first, but I went and rewound and watched it again. And I'm feeling pretty confident that that's jewels. And so this idea of seeing dead people, what do the dead people want? It seems very clear that Jules was haunted by visions of her mother, that that might have been the main, you know, hallucination or vision or whatever you want to call it that was so distressing to her. And now that Jules is dead, Navarro is kind of inheriting this kind of haunting of some by somebody, potentially her own sister. There's also like this really, I mean, there's so much here. There's a lot of like, sadness and sort of knowingness in the exchanges between Evangeline and Julia in this episode, mm -hmm. like when Evangeline comes to get Julia after um, Liz finds her and eventually takes her to the lighthouse. Jules is like very resigned to this is her fate. Like, and at, at some point Evangeline says, you knew that this was going to happen. Mm -hmm. didn't you like Jules seems to know that now I'm going to the lighthouse when she calls and says goodbye like says I love you yeah. to Evangeline before she walks out into the sea that there's something and she also apologizes and says that she's sorry and it, it seems like in some ways maybe Julia knows that she's going to pass over to the other side and that whatever has been afflicting her is going to get transmitted to her sister in this kind of familial chain, the way whatever happened to her mother, there seems to be this kind of knowing heaviness about their exchanges that made me wonder if Jules was like very aware of what was happening, what was going to happen and how this would impact Evangeline. And I, I think in the conversation with Navarro and Danvers, you can, I think you can feel that same sort of acceptance mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. Navarro's uh, the words that she's saying, like, this is what happens. And Danvers is trying to say, no, listen, you're, you're a smart, intelligent woman. You're, you know, this doesn't have to be what happens to you, but Navarro seems so sure. And I think where I get where it's interesting is that she's then so adamantly refusing that she saw um, the woman that will Wheeler mm -hmm. kill. She's so, she's so certain that she, or she's adamant or stubborn that she she didn't um 
interesting I mean, interestingly that would be somebody who also was seemingly just killed and so yeah. the the piece that um we talked about on the deep dive last week is that um also anders lund seems to talk to her as soon as he dies it's almost like or, or in the in the middle of dying as he's sort of crossing over that these seems to be the moments in which people are talking to evangeline um and yet now this piece might be might be worse. Um, it's as soon as she, I guess, sees Julia knows now. Okay, now I'm haunted by this. That this is where she sort of goes into this trance-like state, or at least is staring, mm -hmm. sort of sitting by that tree, staring at Danvers by the end of the episode. Um, perhaps a little um, accepting of what she knows now yeah. must be must be true. Yeah, it's um, it's like it probably is reminiscent to what Danvers had observed when the, in the Wheeler case that she kind of locks into some trance and she's seeing something that Danvers can't see. And it's interesting, like to go back to like this, you know, it seems like she's Evangeline is in this state where she's like starting to come to accept this and maybe starting to open up to Liz about what she's experiencing. Liz is like really hostile to this whole point of view um she tries to convince evangeline no you're like an intelligent woman like you can't believe yeah. these things you're strong this isn't going to happen to you so she's really really pushing back and um and maybe the reason that the wheeler case is something that she's not going to admit to is because some one of these women shot that man so either liz or evangeline shot this this man and if Evangeline said admits to doing it because she saw a dead right. person. Dead right. people like to point. We know that the pointing yeah, is a thing. Plenty. We we mm -hmm. have got another instance of pointing. Um, then maybe that like complicates it. Maybe like Liz is covering for her in some way. Like there's there's another layer of complexity there in terms of Danvers' role as the chief of police and whatever happened that was probably that you know cops are not supposed to kill somebody in if it's not in self defense. Um, sure. So, so that is something that adds a layer of complication. But um, I think it's a very interesting dynamic that Evangeline is coming to cope with this. And Liz, because of the tragedies in her own life and her own experience with death, is extremely defensive and hostile to the notion that this could be true. So the only piece of this that I didn't like in terms of the conversation between Danvers and Navarro is when Navarro finds the polar bear. And they're talking about, like you know liz is like what are you like what are you what are you getting at like he, they're gone they're gone and and then it's like well why do you keep this thing it's like why do you keep stuff that reminds you of the people that passed away yeah yeah i was like i feel like to to make the point that danvers does not believe in anything spiritual throwing away the polar bear i was like no so i feel like you just keep things that are reminders of the times that you had that were that you that you mm -hmm. people that you love so that's the only part i didn't like i i get why it's in there because i think you know she throws the pole over and she comes back and she goes there, there's no one else we're here they're gone mm -hmm. like it's to serve the point that these two people have very differing viewpoints on the idea of the afterlife and spirituality and what and, and who you might you know whether or not ghosts exist and whether they visit you and see you and it's to drive home that point but i was like the, the it's more the navarro writing of like yeah like, why, why do you keep this thing it's like why do you keep any memento of something, of, you know, anything, you know, it's like to, 
you know, have that memory. And obviously it's also painful and that's why she hides it in the box. So the only piece that I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do think that that was like probably like a little bit of like sloppy just so writing. It doesn't like really like it doesn't have a lot of truth coming from Navarro as a character, but you can see the function that it served. But like this idea of it kind of it, it gets back to this kind of conflict between these two women about the idea of of prayer and being alone like and and you know evangeline asks talks a few times she mentions it to um kavik and then she also talks about danvers being alone but like this idea of being alone and alone in the universe sort of like without without a god without a plan without there yeah. being some comfort and they you know they both share these relationships with prayer when they're driving in the car together and we get more of liz's backstory i mean i think that the show has done a really deft job and I have to give, you know, Jodie Foster a lot of credit for keeping this character on this line between being, you know, sympathetic and tragic and also, you know, somebody who can be a jerk and we can have both feelings about like she can be like a tyrant at work. She can be mean to everybody. She can be insensitive. Um, she can be probably racist, a bad mother to Leah, but also at the same time, somebody who is trying in her own limited way, who's suffered a lot of loss um, and we have sympathy for. Um, but they talk about this idea of being alone and praying. And we find out that in addition to losing Holden and Jake, Liz has also lost her mother at a very young age. Yeah. The scene is, I really like the scene as well. I like, and it's the, the way in which, Liz is telling one of the most personal stories of her life and the way Evangeline just immediately sort of makes fun of her. I thought is so You didn't I, I pray mean, hard enough. You maybe didn't. she didn't pray hard enough. Uh, the amount of people that uh, she says F off to, or I hate you or whatever in this episode mm -hmm. is, is, is many. Uh, it's, it's very funny. I, I want to count it uh, and see if Jess can name <laughs> off all the people that she bickers with this episode. Cause I think it's pretty much everybody, mm -hmm. but um. But yeah, the the seat of her being, yeah, like I prayed to my knees where I couldn't walk at the funeral. Like I just thought, you know, they, my dad told me if I just prayed enough, my mom will be fine. And it didn't, you know, yeah, didn't mean anything. Uh, it says maybe didn't pray hard enough. It's very funny. Um, I, no, these uh, two have like really good chemistry. And like Callie Rez being like relatively new to acting. I mean, she yeah. is like killing this role. It's like yeah. so excellent. I love her presence. Um, But it just makes so much sense that these, that these women would in this odd way have this connection to each other. Um, I'm going back to the Isa Lopez interview, what's bringing these women together and yeah. what's pushing them apart. And I think it's a shared experience of, of loss and feeling alone in this, in this episode of Angeline says to Kavik, you're alone. I'm alone. Danvers is alone. Like these are women who in a lot of ways choose to be alone by pushing away anybody who could care about them obviously evangeline has like this very close relationship with jules who she loses and we know that danvers has lost people that are close to her but kavik who's like freaking like boyfriend of the year like he gets the spongebob toothpaste like he's so, so he's so, so i love the way he pretends he's going to propose to her and then like Very relocates smart. her finger because he knows it's like the only way he'll get her off guard enough that that she'll let him touch him. I mean, she's so rude to him and like yeah. pushes him away all the time, yeah. even though she always comes back, always comes back. Um, 
there's a way that it makes sense that 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 these two kind of really really tough women who have a lot of difficulty expressing any vulnerabilities would find a way to get along together um and i thought that like having that scene where she can just mock somebody in this very vulnerable moment was hilarious and really rang true well there's also a third person who is in her own way alone but actively chose to be alone which is uh, navarro goes to see rose and she's all dressed up and she's made a full Christmas dinner. Uh, just Rose, her, act, just, like a mo- she was mothering hard in this yeah. episode in that like yeah. that jaunty red cocktail dress and like right. and like and she made this whole spread. We yeah. it's not even clear that she was expecting Evangeline or anybody at all. Just Travis, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um what yeah, so she talks about like what did you do before? She was a serious professor in a very serious school writing very serious papers. And one day after coffee, she just realized it's all meaningless. It was I'm just making noise for the sake of making noise. And so it's so much quieter here, uh, except for all the effing dead. Um, mm-hmm. and so this is somebody who has actively chosen to remove themselves from um as much of society kind of as she as she as she can to make it to make a choice to move somewhere where you can live a much quieter life feeling mm-hmm. like you're she's not caught up in the machine of even something that we would argue is important which is academia mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's like she's like mm-hmm. i don't know it felt it felt meaningless she calls it meaningless yeah. so it's just like putting stuff out there um and who cares and so now now i'm here um and that's like that's kind of the scene that's all we get from yeah Rose yeah yeah. I mean, Rose is such a fascinating character. And I think that like, you know, even though she's been relatively minor in terms of the significant plot points of the series so far, I think that like she's carrying a lot of heavy weight thematically, like the whole conversation about seeing the dead and that there's the three and things keep going back to it. The dead yeah. people want like that seems so important. And here she brings up this notion of noise and quiet. And I have yeah. to say, Last episode was the first time I noticed this, and then it was appeared twice in this episode. Hmm, I wonder if Liz, we have the same thing. Yeah. Liz Danvers yeah. often listens to white noise tracks. Yes. yes, she does. Yeah, it's on in the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. And uh sometime later, she's yeah, there's white noise. And so it's whenever she's there, she's like she can't have the silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I definitely think that there's something about this idea of noise and uh, and drowning out whatever is happening in Ennis. Ennis being a quiet place, but maybe that quiet allows you to notice things that you wouldn't notice otherwise, like all the effing dead people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so the fact that I thought um, Rose mentioning that, you know, in her, in her former life as a, you know, serious professor at a serious university, she was just creating noise, I think is very interesting. Liz also is kind of is is you know she's she's drinking alone mostly I think because Leah has has mm. decided to leave and go to the the Priors household. We haven't really talked about the fact that the cops are named Priors. Uh, that seems it feels interesting. Yeah, now. what's your what's your well that Hank has Priors that Hank is covering. Oh. St- I mean we know we yeah, know from last yeah. what's he covering up still? I mm-hmm. think what um, are his prior offenses? Um. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so what happens here with, like, Liz ending up, like, celebrating 
Christmas Eve alone with a bottle of vodka is Leah's gotten herself in some trouble with none other than Kate McKintrick, the mining heiress of Ennis, Alaska. So funny that in this episode, like it's it's actually too hard for us to keep track of all the people that Liz has slept with because they go to this guy's house to get maps of of Mm -hmm. tunnel systems. And it turns out she's also slept with. This isn't the teacher, right? No, it isn't. I think it is the teacher. It is the teacher. All right. Well, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, then the woman, I was like, oh, that, is that Kate? And I was like, no, no, wait, no, that, that's Kate uh, Kintrick. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. You know, I don't know what to make of this. Basically that she's, you know, getting Leah off and Leah comes out. as like, you always take their side, which is mm-hmm. very much like not totally true. At least uh, the fact that she's trying to make sure that she doesn't get charged with, with vandalism basically. Um, and then, and then Leah leaving. Um, mm-hmm. but then also Liz driving drunk, which is literally an offense. She arrests someone for and puts yeah. in a drunk tank in episode one. So the way in which she is just quite a bit of a hypocrite, I think is, uh, yeah. is, is yeah. on show here in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. The Leah scene I thought was important because it, it sort of shows how Liz is, in a bit of a lose-lose situation because on the one hand, she knows that like her daughter is particularly vulnerable because there might be people who are out to get her in this town because of who Liz is, because of her identity, because she's a native woman, because she's protesting the mines, because she has these beliefs. And like Liz is doing in her own way what she can to protect her from those faiths. Um, And like Leah in doing this, it's like, you know, you get why she's doing it. And like, I I definitely appreciate the moxie and like getting out there and protesting and uh, getting your voice heard. But it's also something that, you know, Danvers is investigating a case of a young woman who looks like Leah who did this and was murdered. And who knows why she was murdered. But we do know that there are a lot of people that were more than happy to see her go. So you can definitely empathize with this fear and protective instinct. Like you can't let Leah go down this path. But then from Leah's perspective, it feels like her mom is always taking their side because she's getting scolded. She's getting scolded for having this relationship and making this tape. She's getting scolded for protesting. Um, as a parent, like it, it's tricky to negotiate that. You know, Danvers comes back and she's like, well, let's have the turkey and make Thanksgiving. And Leah's really mad and she wants to leave. Um, and, you know, I you you feel bad for Danvers. And then in the next breath, she says, fine, get out of here. I don't want to see know. you anyway. And then you're like, oh, but that wasn't great. I like, know. that's not good parenting. Yeah. yeah, I'm a little worried that as the s- tensions and stakes of the show have to rise in the last two episodes, that there is a theme of, Danvers trying to make sure that something bad doesn't happen to, to Leah and it being, um, I think, uh, a reasonable fear with maybe unreasonable um, uh, ways of, of showing that and trying to to stop it from happening. Um, so because like then you get the scene where the three uh, uh, Inupiaq women are all, mm-hmm. all you know, baking um, only to then and find it- out that Danvers has al- is also going to ruin Kayla's Christmas by <laughs> Pete go with Evangeline, but um, it's a very nice moment. But yeah, the, the way in which, um, you know, th- there's the lingering seed of like protests have been planned mm-hmm. uh, as well feels like a place where um, 
potentially as things are happening also mm -hmm. leah is in trouble which i just do not want to see but yeah there's a huge yeah. upside for tragedy here or downside for tragedy which would which you know w would be really really hard to watch um you interviewed this actress. Her, her name is what is is a Isabella Star LeBlanc. Yeah, Isabella Star LeBlanc, and I think yeah. that she's doing a really excellent job. I mean, there's something that I think is so evocative about this scene with the three generations of women baking there in the Pryor home, and of yeah. course, Pete Pryor isn't there. Elizabeth Danvers isn't, isn't there. Like the the white people don't understand like the 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 this this aspect of the, the what's what's important to these women in terms of their needs and they're isolated from that and you know Liz is drinking alone and Pete is out working we later hear you know Pete talk to Kayla when he finally comes back to bed oh you're going to say that you why don't you just say that I ruined your life and you never wanted to have children and that there's like something of this I don't want to say curse because that's a loaded term grace but like there's something of this like to have one of these blended families means that there's always going to be this separation this piece that is hard to communicate that isn't understood um and there seems to be this real sadness about that for both leah and liz and then also for kayla and pete yeah and they have a you know uh a chat in bed and, and he basically thinks that she's with him only because she got pregnant and they decided mm -hmm. to stay together. Um, we have that conversation in a previous episode where he says like, you know, uh, you should have known you married a police officer. And she's like, I didn't, I didn't get, I, I did when you were my boyfriend, you were not a police officer. You then chose to become mm -hmm. one. So um, yeah, still a lot of tension there. We add in the mix here that um, Hank is totally being fleeced by his male oh, bride. No, no, I, I, Grace, I thought that there was an emergency <laughs> and she just didn't have cell service. Cell service. Isn't that what, isn't that what he said? That's what I thought. Happened. I was kind of obsessed with the show catfish when it came out and just uh -huh. the amount of times people can like fall for the, of like, yeah, I've never seen them or heard from them or whatever. It's just, and I send them money yeah. every week. It's just, Ooh. I don't like it, but I deal, I still do think Hank is on my like, very suspect list of, of yeah. you know again being part of we keep saying this i don't think he murdered anybody but i do think he is covering up uh institutional racism mm -hmm. um, yeah i mean he's the right him. mix of incompetent and corrupt right yeah. to let all of this happen yeah. um while he still remains like a very unlikable character i did feel a few pangs of sympathy when he had to take all of the rose petals off of the bed when he started but then i'm like oh dude you're just picking them up one by one like you, you, you know it's scrape or vacuum yeah, get a vacuum yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, what are you doing one by one maybe he wants to cool. save them keep them nice so he can for the next time when she comes yeah. over <laughs> yeah and i did like the image of both of him and um and Connolly both watching elf i thought it was very, yeah um, yeah uh, a classic christmas movie let's talk a little bit about the visit to hmm. Connolly because um she comes over she's she's driven drunk and then it's you know don't they do are, that, kids. Don't drive not, drunk. Yeah, do not do that. They're 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 flirt. She like flirtily takes off her socks, and then very quickly when she starts making fun of him for having like the teeth whitener, mm -hmm. um, and she accuses him of moving her because she was a better cop. He admits it, but says you're a better cop, but you have no people skills, and it got worse when Jake and Holden died, and that's basically enough for her to to leave mm -hmm. and drive drunk back home. Um, I think that is important because I feel like the flashbacks we get with her, she mm. she does have these like a certain set of of in terms of um 
I thought for as many times as she says F you or I hate you, she also says that's my boy to Pete mm-hmm. when he agrees to go get. And so like there is some sweetness to her and she certainly some charm, right? With kids. She's mm-hmm. so good with kids. We've seen, I think three times in the flashbacks with, yeah. Holden, with Darwin and then the uh, Susan's daughter. Mm-hmm. And so, but you can see how just this like moment would just make you mad at the world and mad at everybody. So yeah. this was like, you know, it's not much here, but it's, it's certainly enlightening. Oh, and the fact that he's sticking around uh, seemingly. And the fact that he's running for mayor, I think is also probably <laughs> a significant piece of information that, that we get from this. Um, yeah, um, but, you know, just to the point of the fact that, you know, maybe Liz has never been the best people person, but that she does have some innate skills with that that have maybe dwindled or gotten, um, you know, less put into action. Um, Even with Julia in this scene where Very Liz true. is the one who finds Julia um on the street taking her clothes off obviously distressed she definitely has like a very gentle and effective manner of dealing with a sensitive situation and coaxing Julia into the car so the there are these moments where we we see that Liz does have the capacity um to be very empathetic and very effective um but it's maybe you know been calloused over with these like years of pain and suffering and i definitely what Connolly says kind of lend some credence to the fact that it's it's gotten worse um yeah can i i one thing i i said on the feedback show this week that i thought was a really it's a really effective mechanic that the show is using in which to basically have kind of two mysteries mm-hmm. and they can essentially sort of give us a lot about potentially what happened with Annie and a lot of character development and basically slow roll the research station Mm -hmm. mystery. And so this is a pretty big episode. And I want to touch on two things uh, here, which is one is that when Julia goes into the sea and um, ends her life, she folds her clothes. Yeah. She is not seemingly do she is taking off her clothes when she is walking through town, but she's not seemingly folding them. And uh it's after the orange gets so the orange gets rolled mm-hmm. towards her. Um, as well as um and then and yeah, and then she's folding her clothes in the end. And then obviously everything that happens here at the end of the episode with 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 Otis and the and the reveal, and we know that you know the video, I, I presume you you hear a hatch in the Annie mm. video. So I feel like this is a big, like it's, it's a lot of info, but it's about as much as we get normally. I feel like you treat with yeah. the, the research station in which to say, I still don't really know what's, what's happening. Yeah. Let's take no. some time to like puzzle this yeah. out. And I hope that like we get the grace of being like yeah. kind of first at the, like, you know, first at crack, crack at this because I haven't had a ch- you know chance to see what yeah. other people are saying about this episode or really like go over what the deep dives for is to mm-hmm. that's to be right. This one is to be very speculative. Okay, great, great. Uh, no. Not my job to be right. You heard it here <laughs> first. Um, so yeah, so so things that we see, we see like the folding the clothes is very deliberate, and this is the same way that we see the clothes folded um from the Salal station. And as you pointed out, we see Jules is also disrobing. But not deliberately, like she's not folding her clothes and putting them nicely. So maybe that's a different thing. So at least there's the suggestion here that whatever supernatural hallucinatory experience Jules is having that compels her to walk naked into the sea is something like what the Salal Research Station scientists also experienced. Of course, the death is not the same because we don't, she doesn't die 
of cardiac arrest. She's not terrified. She seems to very calmly walk into the ocean, whereas we can only see, like, assume from the faces and the postures of the scientists that they were horrified, like the caribou or whatever. Yeah. Can I, what I, you know, from the video that we see where the power goes out, this is another piece of information we learned that the power Mm -hmm. goes out both times um, in the videos. My, that's Raymond Clark, who's in the pink coat, Mm -hmm. who's in the back of this man's video. And this has changed things for, for me in terms of, there was a lot of theories about the mind poisoning water and, and whatever. I was actually listening to some that like, this does have like people unknowingly, you know, this is where, where people are, you know, dying of cancer, the stillborn babies mm-hmm. in this community. It's because of contaminated water sources and things like that. But the idea that the water is like black, I think it's like, it's this, it's, you know, how long was it contaminated before it just finally turned mm-hmm. black. Right. Um, but it does seem like to me, the evidence would show that there are certain people who have been under similar influences. And this is where I want to try and build connections between what could happen to these people that would mm-hmm. not happen to other people in the town. So Raymond Clark is the one who's saying she's awake. She's mm-hmm. awake. Anders Lund, there's a similar thing, but he could just be repeating whatever thing Raymond Clark was putting mm. them under, right? When he's saying she, we woke her, she's awake. That could just, cause he, he was lured out by Raymond Clark, right. froze to death while Raymond Clark yeah. is like, we woke her, she's awake. Right. So right. he's just repeating things yeah. as opposed to people who potentially are consciously hearing Navarro, Julia, Raymond Clark, people who are consciously hearing consciously are hearing she's mm-hmm. awake are having some sort of, thing happening to them yeah what connects those people together yeah that's a really great point because we and we do have like evidence from the show that it wasn't that the other members of the salal research station were not like emotionally distressed or having like bizarre perceptual experiences because we see melina in a very normal way, make a TikTok about a yeah. ham sandwich we see everybody we see every, they're all walking around the thing until Clark shows up and says she's awake as he's like right. shivering and convulsing and then the power goes out. Yeah. So there is like some reason to think that like whatever Clark was experiencing in terms of some kind of psychological unraveling, which is like reported by multiple people, that that could be something like what we see in Jules potentially. Um, that doesn't seem to match anything that we saw in Annie per se, but no. if Clark was like, and so, so there could be a connection between those the, those deaths, but it might not be the the same cause. I think it's fair to say, like the way but, that Annie dies might not be the same way that the scientists died. But aren't these people acting this way once someone dies? So Aunt Julia is having is is this is happening because her mother died, and now mm. she's seeing, she's haunted by her mother. You have Evangeline, who now seemingly has fallen into something similar because. Julia has died. It's these people who then it's mm. like th- she calls it a curse, right? She does call. Um, I hope this thing that happens in the finale of the curse. I, I can't imagine we'll get the same thing. Oh but my if gosh, you know, what you if know. that was the same thing? I know um, it's so hard not to spoil it. And then, but but Clark as well. If so, he knew something happened to Anne, and this has been a theory of mine I had, and that, that it's mm. less so that they're all poisoned, they all go crazy. It's more so that somebody knows how much bad stuff that they are doing like Annie was uncovering and uh-huh. now says, you're all going to pay for that. You're all mm. going to, this is, and is Raymond Clark who, you know, we 
positive as like the murder of Annie, but he's uh. eventually, as they we saw the pictures that they're together saying, well, and now he's haunted by Annie and his revenge is to do it. I don't know that that fully Ooh, explains. I love I mean, is she Is she awake? It could be Annie because he's now seen, like she died, but now she's a, she's awake, right? But Annie is like very important because she is the, as far as we can tell in this show, is the originator of the spiral. Correct. And then this spiral is. She dreamt it. She tattooed it. And then she subsequently has not dreamt it. And then five days after she dies, Raymond Clark also gets it tattooed mm-hmm. on his body. And and then if your theory is correct, then Annie's death ends up being the thing that consumes Raymond Clark and maybe marks the change in his personality to being this more kind of solitary. Um, we also, I would just want to point out where this fits is we we think that um, Evangeline and Jules's mother had a similar death of walking out yes. into the into the Arctic and being and having this kind of unsolved murder like Annie did. And then that is like the thing that sort of infects Julia and then Julia's death might in turn infect Evangeline. I think that this is a very interesting theory, Grace. So now this is maybe a good time to bring in our new character, Otis Heiss, who has similar injuries to the injuries of the Salal station scientists, but has somehow survived this and subsequent to the incident seems to have this kind of similarly like dysregulated behavior. It sounds like he's got involved in multiple uh, disorderly conduct charges and possession. And he appears to be a junkie when they find him. Um, So what do we think is his connection? Um, He built the, we find out that he's the person who mapped the ice caves as well. Yes. So much information in this episode. There's a lot. Right? Yeah, the maps. Uh, the small moment when they get the map information, the guy being so flustered that he stands up and hits his head on the lamp above his desk. Just a, just a I, beautiful, I loved that. small I loved little, that. Of, he's just so flustered as the woman he it's slept Christmas with. Christmas Eve. Like yeah. the woman he had an affair with. Yeah. Navarro, who's just like, you know, you could be intimidated by Navarro mm-hmm. and then his wife. And so he just like hits his head. Very, yeah. very good. My husband loved this because he is a tall man and he also <laughs> stands up and hits his head uh-huh. something. So he uh-huh. felt he felt represented here. Yeah. Uh just very, very good. Um I still do think that sacrifice plays some role in 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 all of this, just in the sense that um it's it's kind of the only way I can understand um well, I can understand Raymond wanting just revenge. Um, but the the symbol in season one is so connected to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it you know, if we're we're in cult territory, it just does feel like you sacrifice is the way mm-hmm. to go. So so is Otis a sacrifice for something that went wrong? And he is now just, you know, an unwell man that people, you know, Oliver knew him and Oliver connects him to mm-hmm. Raymond. And he it looks like also that Raymond is. I couldn't tell if there was he's hiding in the night country grades. I forgot. So he's not in the dredges. So he's not wearing the pink coat. There was just a scene where someone runs with a red coat or a pink coat. And I Mm -hmm. was thinking whether Raymond and Otis are there, but it must just be that Otis is in in the dredges. What a good name for it. Also, I don't know. I wanted to know what the dredges. I don't know what it. I love this combo as well, where she's like, you know, it used to be this beautiful thing. It, It feels like it must be a mining thing. And it must've been, like pull, but that's what it feels like dredges yeah. feels like 
Um, and, and I'll say, like, I, I looked this up, and at first, like, I thought that they said trenches, but that is like a cleaning. natural top top topological yeah. formation. But it's like it's a way of extracting. It must be right. a mining technique. So, like, a really seems large... like an apparatus for bringing up objects or mud from a river or seabed, or by scooping or dragging. Which, as they're trying to bring back extinct DNA life yeah. and it's extra like what's under the water of the art you know the, all of that makes sense but the, the thing of like yeah it was beautiful to watch but then it's just been left out there to do nothing and they were like aren't we all huh it's like, <laughs> you know but yeah Oda, I, I it feels like you know whatever happened whatever Raymond does to these men this is my leading theory mm -hmm. is that Raymond isn't in, involved in doing this thing to those men as some sort of ritual sacrifice they're perfect people to be sacrificed because they also perhaps deserve it in his yeah. eyes for having maybe one of them be involved in killing Annie, someone he presumably loved. Um, is this something that somebody else has done? And, and it happened to Otis at some point too. So yeah. Yeah. Ot yeah. So Otis is involved. Um, Oliver Takak is, 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 is potentially involved here too. Before we get too far away from the dredges, like I do want to kind of just point out that like the, the history of a lot of Alaska and the reason that there's people like Danvers and Pryor and, you know, Kate McKintrick and towns like Ennis, which is a fictional town, is basically because people go to Alaska for these industries of mostly mining. And then we have the yeah. scientists who are here extracting things. So it's kind of this tension between the indigenous people who are native to the area being colonized by white people who are there to extract something from the land to take something from it and like so it's very much this sort of um exploitative relationship there and you know i don't know if we've had a chance to to remark on it before but the u.s government actually pays people to live in alaska to move there to populate these mining industries like it's a very hard place to live for all of the reasons that we've noticed and we have these white interlopers who come in from the outside that are bu buffing up against a native culture that has adapted its ways of life and its whole rhythm to living in this kind of environment um there's also um as you know has been pointed out 50% of the town is 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 connected to these industries. These industries become really, really vital for the town operating under a modern capitalist system. So it's a really fascinating tension there that is kind of at the heart of the show. And this idea that like extracting these things from the land, that damaging the land, of course, is, you know, one of the drivers of climate change, as well as all of the other global trends. And that also Ennis is, places like Ennis are going to be ground zero for these changes because of the melting of polar ice caps and the changing of the environment. So there's so much rich layering of these themes that comes from the place and the people that this show centers on. And um, now we have to kind of circle back to what we were talking about. Um, the ice caves, I can only assume that these cave systems exist because of the history of either gold mining or whatever is the current, like what that they come yeah. from this history of mining in Alaska. That's why they're there. And at least the connection that Navarro and Danvers make in this episode is that it must be that Oliver Takak was the person who set up the generator in these mine in these 
in these caves. It's not clear that they were continuing to be in use. It seems like they were sort of obscure. Navarro didn't know they were there. It took, you know, this science teacher to figure this out. There's whale fossils in there. Um, so I don't know where this is going, but I think that these are the connections that Oliver Takak must have been involved in putting a generator in the caves that Otis would have mapped the caves. So he would have been an expert on them. That's probably how he got involved in all of this. And for whatever reason, Raymond Clark and Annie were doing something inside these ice caves. Yeah. I mean, Oliver being at this like remote community that then potentially has also left to go to these like underground uh, caves. It, yeah. It's, I agree. I mean, the, for me, the piece, I guess the piece here is like, what do they do there? Because mm -hmm. they did, seemingly they just killed all the people at the research station like they just did that there um i guess certainly and then the other piece is that annie says like oh i i found it like mm -hmm. she was clearly on the hunt for what was happening here as as well um that feels like it has to tie into the mine in 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 some yeah way probably i for me, I do. I still think Anders Lund just because he runs the whole thing and he's the most like named person. Mm -hmm. I feel like it kind of maybe sucks that he he he's you know he's dead. He seemed he's like a board. great guy. Yeah, so great. But it, it, I mean, just in terms of like a shit, right? Like him being sort of getting up to nefarious things that can mm -hmm. happen in a hatch that's hidden away that nobody will ever find that because he has mine money or whatever yeah. feels like something but yeah we have two, we have two episodes left of the show i think that we have to get the episode where we learn more about the connection between the mine and the salal station because obviously the salal station you know following the funding following the science there's something that they were doing that wasn't the like ostensible stated purpose of their reason to be there. And then whatever the mine is doing is going to be connected to that. I mean, I'm just convinced that there has to be a connection between the mine and Salal and what they're doing. Um, and that that might elucidate somewhat of how these things all got connected. Um, so I'm waiting to learn more about that. I have to imagine that that's coming in one of the upcoming episodes. Um, I want to point out one more thing though, about yeah. this, super the supernatural yes, angle and who else is experiencing these phenomenon and you pointed out grace that danvers is one of the people who hears she's awake she i think hears it in a dream is that right she, she wakes up from a yeah. dream with holden is that right i i wakes up with a dream with holden but it's not clear that it's like a fully a dream I yes, or yeah, is she yeah, right. seeing Holden? Like, it, is she? Right. So we know that like Rose seeing dead people, I think, is important because Rose is not a native. Like, she's not yeah, a yeah, yeah. She's a. Yeah. We find out she's probably like some Harvard professor of linguistics or something, and she ends up here. Um, it would be interesting to know more about what she was a professor of because that could potentially. I know be, I wanted that as well. Relevant too. Yeah. Um. But um, so we know that like it's not just this spiritual thing that the Inupiaq characters are experiencing here. So could Liz be so defensive and upset about dead people not existing 
because she herself is haunted by dead people. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was most interesting about Jodie Foster, uh, her being interviewed on, I believe the episode two um, official HBO podcast is how much she says, this is Navarro's story. This is not my, this, I, I took this role because it uplifts Evangeline Navarro's mm. story. It uplifts Kaylee Reese's story. And to that end, I was thinking about that from the perspective in which Jodie Foster, I believe executive produced the season as, yeah. as well. So it, you know, involves more so than just playing um, Liz Danvers is the idea that like up until then you in a, I think in a traditional show, that's Jodie Foster is the lead, which she is the lead. But if we take it from the perspective of what she said in the interview is that you might've seen, glimpses or or more to 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 give us a clue that maybe liz is seeing something that she mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily want to see when she throws the polar bear like you know okay but the fact that we're not and then being able to reveal that later of like oh liz is also just mm -hmm. and been totally trying to shut that out because she doesn't want to believe because she thinks it's supernatural the one thing i asked both sarah and jess and i'm interested maybe as a last thought mm -hmm. from you amanda is how Will you feel about this? And uh, you know, you can't know how you feel about the show until you've seen the whole show. But are you hoping that there is some? So even for Navarro or these people who've had these, like, mm -hmm. you know, are you hoping for an explanation, even if it's like a mental health? It, you know, is is that where we? Because like we kind of can't now know about Julia. We can't really know. Mm -hmm. is what she saw real or is it not real? And what is the show trying to tell us about whether that was or wasn't real? Because I keep going back to the fact that Rose says like, ah, with your sister, like don't confuse mental health issues with the supernatural. And now that does feel like Navarro has fallen basically into the same thing that's going to happen to Julian. The show is saying like, I don't know if it's saying, but it's implying that could yeah. be mental health concern, right? So well, how it much could be you... both, right? Like, it could, she's like Julia could have had mental health struggles and also yeah, had sure. this experience. I mean, and this experience and, is very upsetting and would probably yes. lead you to have some stress and and I, anguish. I also wonder. I know Rose says like, "Oh, you have to decipher what they want to tell you," but I also wonder whether if these things can happen, it also maybe changes how you how those interactions happen or what they feel like right mm -hmm. so and what happened to those people like travis died from he he also killed himself because he had cancer mm -hmm. and in a way that's um that, you know him and julia basically do kill them and potentially her mother kill all kill themselves in the same way but i think that there is something different about the way that travis would interpret how he was treated by this place like he's an outsider as opposed to julia and um and navarro's mother who she is in upiac and yet this like the systems of this place like failed her right mm -hmm. and so her death and her appearance in the afterlife is much angrier than travis's is who is literally dancing <laughs> doing a yeah. spiritual dance you know and so is it is and then like so rose has a different relationship with travis than julia's having with her mother and now Navarro is mad. She is so mad. And it's a it's it's a horrific story that happened. So when she then sees Julia, it's a horror story. When when Rose sees Travis, it is a he is coming to visit and, and to provide her information, right? That yeah. she finds the bodies. Yeah. Well, that's so I went back to Rose's quote about why the dead visit. Some visit because they miss you, some need to tell you something you need to hear, and some want to take you with them. You need to know the difference. Um, and it seems like one explanation for 
people taking these actions that compel them to their death is they're being guided by dead people that want to take them along for the ride. Um, right. So it doesn't seem that that's Travis's motivation. At least when the one time we see him visit Rose, he wanted to tell her something she needed to hear, I guess, or visit because he misses her. Like he was pointing oh, out where yeah. the bodies were. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And what, if anything, would Travis, like, want to get involved with all of this? For Like, this is not none of Travis's business. Well, other than that, he seemingly health. has cancer because the mine yes. gave him cancer. But I so, still think that relationship is different than somebody who is, like, Inupiaq and, and right. indigenous to that land. And then that land killing you because it's not the land. It's the, pe the mine, the people who use this land for their own capitalistic greed as opposed to Travis, who is also right. So there's, I mean, but there's like the, the reason for the message. And then there's also like the valence of the message or the, like um, the affect of the messenger. But I do think that Travis is in some way connected to wanting this story to be told. So if this has something to do with Salal and the mine and what's causing cancer and poor health and these other issues in Ennis, maybe maybe Travis is in some way a vehicle of that. Um, Holden and Jake seem to be have died in a completely unrelated way. Also, we have not seen Jake at all. We've, only we've not seen, seen Jake at all. He does not miss Danvers. Maybe every time he shows up, she's sleeping well, with somebody else. I actually wonder if, again, we don't know what happened in that incident. We've now seen Liz drive drunk as well. Mm -hmm. And I know, like, you know, I, I don't know what happened. But if I, I think that if we see, like, a horror version of, of who has been dealing with this, but is like, no, I'm going to shut it out. I never saw that. I think it's probably Jake she's going to mm -hmm. see, right? She has these flashbacks of, like, these tender moments with Holden. But Jake, she's not having, and maybe she actually also is like, if he drove drunk or if he did, if he got yeah. an accident. You know what? It, it's fascinating to imagine that Danvers was the one who was drunk driving and who was responsible for the accident that killed her husband and her son. Um, that would add a whole other layer to the horror of her life and how miserable and, you know, and callous somebody would have to be to deal with all of that. So I think that that could definitely be interesting and that the one-eyed polar bear is also yeah, talking about the one-eyed polar bear. That's, that's seemingly not related to, um, the minds per se, but, but I, but I wonder if there's, I mean, let's take the Holden visions, right? Holden visits Navarro because he needs to tell her something. She, he, he, to tell her something she needs to hear to tell her to help my mommy. So this is something that Holden is sending a message Holden visits Liz, like if anything, maybe like it's it doesn't seem like Holden has a message for Liz or wants to take her with him. Maybe that's like visiting because but it's like Liz is I, also I because of the hue of those, I do view them as like memories, but I, I definitely could be wrong. But I, I don't view them in the same way that the ghosts have visited. They do feel and I know like child ghosts maybe is different. You know, I I do but visit Navarro the, didn't know that they like oh, oh sorry hold it hold in visiting Navarro. Yeah. Yes, I do I do view that, that was, one. That must have Not, that was a ghost visiting. Yes, her, I think yes, yes, I agree. The but the other person who is like visiting them is a polar bear, which you know, symbolism of polar bear, resilience, current, you know, continuing on. That is what a it, like a polar it lives in like 
the harshest climate as well as these people do. So is visit, is it some message that's trying to be sent to the two of them, which mm -hmm. is like, I know this is hard, but you have to keep going. Like you have to keep moving forward. That's and I'm going to do that by it. stopping and the car. I'm going to stay in front of your car. That's right. Almost going to kill you. But they didn't, they didn't. And it has one eye. So it's like, it's even more resilient. It's even more like, it's almost been like, I can't see, but it's it still moves forward. It's the same as the stuffy though. It's like, it, it has to be related to Holden. It's the same as the stuffy. She married a polar bear. Jake is the polar bear. I figured it out. All right. Well, it's a lot. I think we could keep it's talking about that. I think the thing that I keep saying is like, the show is so balanced and rich. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like every week I'm like, that was such a good balance of like, I know more about the characters. I feel like I know a little bit more about what's happening yeah. with the mystery, or at least I can try to make assumptions and guesses in a very fun way. And I feel like they could be way wrong or way right. And then also there's just so much. They're just giving us the stuff, even to the point of like, yeah, I didn't really think about the mayor, him running for mayor mm -hmm. as a, as a plot beat. And you're so right that it definitely could be like way more important than they suggested mm -hmm. in this episode. So I think this season has been, been very yeah. good. I'm, I'm very excited for more. Yeah. And I want to yeah. go to a party at Rose's house. I know. Invite me for dinner, Rose. Rose Agano. Great name, by the way. I, I don't think really you were first. And doesn't before. Navarro say like that's not even your real name, is it? I know, yeah. She yeah, well, she did I don't yeah, I don't think Rose Agony was her real name. Wow. So yeah, very fun. What a queen. Yeah. All right. Um, Dr. Mino, uh, where what else are you up to? Where can people find you? Um, well, I am covering Six Feet Under, which uh, you can watch on Netflix, and then you can listen to Ariel and I have the greatest time talking about it. We are in season two right now and you can find uh, that also on post show recaps and as always you can keep up with everything i'm doing by following me on twitter slash x where i am at dr amanda r how about you grace uh aaron and i took a week off last week from movies but we'd be back this week with argyle which uh Ooh. we might need to find somebody who liked argyle to join us on the podcast uh, maybe you should be, maybe you could get parvati shallow to do it because she did a promotion for argyle did she oh well, i'll try to get Parvati. yeah get, she did a okay. trader slash argyle promotional video wow. i saw on social media Argyle is very, it's better than I thought. I still didn't love it, but we'll talk mm -hmm. about it. Full spoiler recaps. Last week, we talked about Griselda, which is the new Sofia Vergara Netflix show about Griselda Blanco. That was actually really good. Six episodes oh. uh, worth watching. And the next week, we're going to talk about Scavenger's Reign, which came out last year, but um, a bit of a slow TV time and movie time. It's not a lot. Uh, stuff is like starting to air, but not a lot is finished. So we're going to go back to that. Um, it's been really interesting. And yeah, for the rest of the trajectory, I'll be with Jess on the deep dive. I believe we'll have a special guest. And then Mike Bloom and Latanya Starks will be the versus pod. Make sure you subscribe. Postshowrecaps.com slash true detective. And we will be back next week. Until then, we will be detectiving. Everywhere.